Hello, Space Bees. I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Today we're here to discuss... Stranger Things, the Netflix sensation, The Vision, Volume 1, and yes, it's that time, The Queen of Atolia by Megan Whalen Turner. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. But first, we're going to discuss some of the stuff we're reading, so let's get into it. Anna, what have you been reading? Not a lot, but enough to keep me going. I read a YA novel called Labyrinth Lost by Zorada Cordova. It's a mixture of Charmed with Alice in Wonderland, but all with Latin American uh, motives. The main character is a mixture of um, Mexican, Ecuadorian, and Spanish, and it's really interesting. It's beautiful. It has a very surprising twist on the love triangle. I'll, I'm going to spoil it because I don't think this should be a spoil because I think the people who want to read this need to be able to find this book. So basically, it's uh, the main character is bisexual. She ends up with her best friend, who's a girl. There, I spoiled the whole thing. But I really think that things like that, unfortunately, right now cannot be considered spoilers because you need to be able to find the books. Would you agree with me, Renee? I just hate this. I hate when the hooking up with someone of the same gender is a spoiler. That's kind of a bummer because I looked at this book and I thought it looked extremely good and I really liked the cover design. So I put it on my list and I actually went to my YA librarian and recommended that she look into it. Then we had a whole discussion about queer teens coming into the library asking her if there were books for them and her going, yes, yes, of course. It would have been really nice if I had known that so I could have told her this is one of the books that she should be getting. Exactly. It is. And I'm, I'm really pissed. And I, and I see a lot of reviews as well. Oh, this is a spoiler. I cannot tell you what who she hooks up with. That. No, tell people. There are people who really need this book. It ends well. It's a happy ending between two girls. Come on, guys. This is something that you need to spread. This is the sort of vital information that people need right now. When there isn't a problem of scarcity anymore, then yeah, okay, let's call it a spoiler. But right now, it really shouldn't be. I wonder why they chose to make it a spoiler. I guess because of the love triangle bit? Yeah, I guess. But it was obvious to me from the start. Because <laughs> I have a radar or some sort. It was like, oh, they're just so going to hook up. But from the beginning, the first thing that happened when they met within the pages is that they were be their best friends. And she just was totally checking the, the best friend out. I was like, oh, <laughs> this ship is going to fly, friends. And it did. And I was so happy. Because also because the guy who was the third side of the love triangle was so boring. I'm also reading Poison Blade by Kay Elliott. But our friend, third fangirl, Kay Elliott. And I'm really loving it so far. I've cried a lot of times reading this book. And I actually think it's a little bit better than Quarter Fives, which I loved. So this one's a step up. And I also read a trade... A graphic novel called Black Magic by Greg Rocker and Nicholas Scott. Uh, it's kind of like urban fantasy with the main character who is a cop, but also a witch. And it's all in black and white. It's beautiful. It's beautifully drawn and the art is amazing, but it's all black and white, except for when she does magic. And then all the magic is colored. It's really, really beautiful. I really liked this first volume. What about you? What have you been reading? I'm continuing my nonfiction reading. I finished Venomous by Christy Wilcox. I would not recommend this book to anybody who 
doesn't have a really firm grip on biology terms because I had to do a lot of skimming. It was really interesting, some of the stuff that she was talking about, but she didn't dumb it down. I don't know a nicer way to say that. <laughs> I am not so, smart enough. <laughs> what is it about then? Venomous, like, is it about animals? Yeah, it's about different venomous animals, like jellies and spiders and wasps. So the question that I have for you is why? Well, I wanted to read the book because it talked about platypuses. And I didn't realize platypuses, platypi, whatever the plural of that animal is, had venom. They do? Yeah, the males have it in spurs on the back of their legs. And apparently it's super hardcore. Like, you get stung by a platypus, you're going to be fucked up and in pain for a while. (laughs) Wow, I had no idea. Actually, that first chapter about the platypus was interesting because you could see racism in action in the first chapter, even though the author didn't really comment on it explicitly. When white men first discovered the platypus, the natives would go, uh, unsafe, unsafe. And the white people would just be like, oh, look at these inferiors, worried about nothing. And I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. God, white people are assholes. (laughs) Anyway, I had to skim a lot because I didn't understand the science. But it's not a very long book. It's like 200-something pages. After I finished that one, I started my next, which is One Child by Mei Fong. And it's about China's one-child policy and how that has sort of fucked them up socially and economically. I think I read an excerpt somewhere of this because I feel like this story is familiar, but in the first part of the book, she talks about how there was this big earthquake and a lot of kids died. And because of the one-child policy... You know, thousands of kids. Like, an, like part of an entire generation was just gone. Fuck. And they didn't have any second children. What's the reasoning behind having just the one child? Is, it, is that because of overpopulation? I think that was part of it. I haven't got far enough into the book yet for her to have delved into why they did it. But I think overpopulation was one of the things. Also, there's some skeevy stuff in there about boys, you know, being more preferable to girls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. So I'll report back after I get farther into the book and let you know. Then I read A Passage of Stars by Kate Elliott, which is part of her High Road trilogy that she wrote back in the early 90s. It's a planetary romance, kind of like Jaron. It's really interesting to go back into her back catalog and read the stuff that she wrote when she was younger. Because you can really see how she's grown up as a writer. It's fascinating. Uh, A Passage of Stars has a robot pal, so it was always going to (laughs) be... It's always going to be a good book for me because it has a super cool robot pal named Buck and they talk to each other in like melodies. If you want to read like a short jam packed full of adventure, a planetary romance, this is a good place to go. Uh, It does have a problematic romance in it, but obviously this is written in the 90s. So I don't think it's good to write off the book for that because it's doing a lot of interesting things with revolution and power and gender. The next... I read Superior by Jessica Lack, which is published by Booksmugglers Publishing. Oh, unexpected surprise. Yes, it is a story about a superhero's intern and a supervillain's assistant who fall in love. And there's a bunch of stuff about personal responsibility and being a hero and handjobs. Anyway, it's a really cute romance that does not have a sad ending. I highly recommend it if you like, like if you spend a lot of time reading like MCU fanfic for superheroes, uh, I think you should probably give this one a try. You can read it for free on thebooksmugglers.com. Or you can buy a copy and make me and the author happy. Oh my god. (laughs) You just turned my wreck into an advertisement. Yes, I did. I believe I did. Congratulations. And the thing that I'm reading right now is Once Broken Faith by Shannon McGuire. It's the next book, the most recent book in the Toby Day series, which I can't believe Anna has not <laughs> caught up on. Come come suffer with us, Anna. Come. You can do it. I'm looking at Ashes of Honor right now. Just start there. Catch up. Where is the time, Renee? Where is the time? 
I, I ask know. you. I don't know. I haven't had the time to read any of the big releases so far. I have a copy of the Connie Willis book, and I haven't read that yet. I haven't read The Obelisk Gate yet. I haven't read uh, Gemina yet, which I have right here in front of me. Oh my god, what? Oh, did not tell... Did not... <laughs> Did I not no, tell? no, you didn't tell me you had that book. I can't believe you had that book and you haven't read it. I have a copy of Gemina. I'm so, I'm in pain. I'm in pain. Diane brought it for me when she came over. So I have all of these and I haven't read any of them. So many people, as they listen to this, are like clawing at their faces in agony. I hope you realize. Why would they be? You know how many people want Gemina? Like, do you know how many people want Crosstalk? A lot. I guess. You guess. Well, that wraps it up for me. I feel like I've not been reading that much, but I guess I have been. You have more than me. Especially with nonfiction, which takes longer to read, at least for me it does. So you'll be reading a lot and things that take longer to read. I admire you, my friend. Well, nonfiction, I do it at night. I read one chapter in whatever book I'm reading before I go to bed. It's the thing I do instead of staring at screens. And so if a book has, like, nine chapters in it, that's only going to take me, like, nine or ten days. Or maybe less, depending on how short the chapters are. I have been doing that, and I'm also reading nonfiction, but more on the health and cookery side of things. I mostly want to learn things that I don't already know. So that's what we've all been reading together. As always, we accept Rex for awesome-sounding books. Please! What is your favorite 2016 book so far? Holy shit. You just sprung that on me. Oh my god. I would say The Obelisk Gate right now. Oh. What's yours? I don't have any. <laughs> this was a trick. I don't know. The first one that came to my mind right now was Miss Marvel number five. That's a good choice. But you, you listener. Tell us, what is your favorite 2016 book so far? Because I need to catch up and I need to read the best ones before the end of the year so that I can have a proper top 10 this year. Yes, everybody, send Anna your... The commendations, uh, please. For 2016 books. I mean, you can yes. also send him for her books for other years, but mostly 2016. Yes, I want to know two, but books published in 2016. You know a good book published in 2016 that you should read? Which one? Uh, it's called Once Broken Faith by Shanae McGuire. <laughs> Ha ha ha. Ha ha. One week I was on the internet and I was minding my own business and suddenly this thing exploded in my face and everybody was enthralled to it. I got multiple DMs going, Renee, Renee, have you watched Stranger Things yet? Little did I know that it was going to take over the entire internet. I didn't take the Stranger Things wreck until Anna watched it. Yes, Anna, I'm going to say it. You were right. It's really good, right? It's really good. It stars Winona Ryder, which I didn't expect, and this little girl who's like this breakout artist called Millie Bobby Brown, who is so adorable. And it's about a small town that weird stuff starts happening in. And I think that's a good way to go into it, knowing little as possible. What did you like the best about this show? That's a difficult question. It was part the 80s nostalgia, because the show is set in the 80s, and it reminded me of my childhood. But it's also the fact that the show builds on the 80s and does its own thing and a little bit better as well in terms of female characters. Oh, wow. Our first disagreement. Whoa. I really liked the acting too. The little girl and the little boys. They were adorable. All of them. So in the very first episode, these kids are playing D&D in a basement. They go home. One of them, something happens and he vanishes and the whole town is thrown into upheaval over his disappearance and the cop in the town starts doing an investigation starts finding a bunch of weird shit and his family his mother and his brother who's left behind start having like meltdowns i was worried about it being scary but i don't think it's scary so much it's more of a psychological horror i was reminded a lot of et there's a scene and it scared the shit out of me when I was a kid where like they put everything in quarantine and there's guys walking around in like big plastic suits 
quarantining these people's house. And that's what it kind of gave me the vibe of, that just really creepy feeling of, oh, the government's here and they're doing something shady and we don't know what it is. We don't know what it is and it's also out of their control. Yeah. They don't have control either. And that's the kind of the vibe I got, where they're involved and not only are they being super secretive, they also have no clue kind of what they're messing with. And so it ends up being more psychological than like jump scare scary. Even though there are jump scare scares in this, which I was not a fan of. But let's go back to the part where we talked about the female characters because yeah. there's Joyce, Eleven, Na- and Nancy. Also, Barb, with her and to a lesser extent, is Nancy's mom, whose name I don't remember now. And the women that come in later who relate to Eleven's storyline. Yes. And so you say they did a really good job on female characters. And I agree, within their own stories, these female characters have really strong storylines that go all the way through, and they eventually connect. But my problem was that they are isolated from each other in the narrative. Right, because the thing that I really liked about the show is that you have three separate strands, Mm -hmm. right? You have the kids' strands, you have the teenagers' strands, and you have the adults. And they are all separate to begin with. Within each of them, you have a main female character that kind of like moves the plot along within those groups. Like you have Eleven with the kids, you have Nancy with the teenagers, and you have Joyce with the adults. So basically, they are the motivators. They are the people there, either with their emotions or with whatever they are doing. It's, they are the ones that move the plot along, right? So at the beginning, they are all separate. Yes, absolutely. You are right there. But then the show just merges all the three strands and it's just beautiful. And then and the female characters are all the main characters in the show. So my problem with this is going to be a scarcity thing again. Why were they alone in their narratives to begin with? Why in the world were there four boys? I mean, in the 80s, I know people who grow up who are, you know, women now who were kids in the 80s that played D&D. There's Barb and Nancy's, but they get rid of her. They get rid of Barb. They take the problem where they don't have a scarcity issue, really, in that story and make Barb, you know, they take her out of the narrative to boost up Nancy's story. She gets her own story, but at the cost of her friend. That's true, but again, I would counter that in many ways, the usual story that we get is exactly that, and it's usually the girl that dies to motivate the male character. And I kind of really liked that Nancy was motivated by trying to find her best friend, and nothing stopped her. And I kind of like that this is an upgrade. Is it the best thing that it could have been? No. But I still think it's an upgrade to what we usually get. I'm hoping that when they do season two, which they've announced that they're doing, that they work harder on the way that they frame female characters in the narrative because they're all like socially isolated. That doesn't ring true for myself or any of the women that I know. We always have like networks of people. Like this is very, here's what I think women's inner lives are like, dude bro narrative. I mean, if it wanted to tell a bunch of stories about socially isolated female characters, that's fine if that's the story they want. But think about your own life and how many female friends you have. I hope in season two that they take into account that women often have really large social networks of even just acquaintances. And that's my only complaint about this show, except for kind of at the end where it feels like nothing has been learned. They're just back doing what they were doing before. And I'm curious if that's deliberate if it's part of the storytelling. Oh, we're back to the status quo. But not really, because they kind of sort of do that with with Will. So I'm just curious about what they're going to do with, with it. It was only eight episodes. And I was really glad it was only eight episodes. Because I was like, because in my head, for some reason, I thought there were 12. And as we got farther and farther in, I'm like, how, how are they going to fit like a cohesive narrative into 12 episodes? That's not going to work. And then the eight was the last one. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> Because I was really worried on that rehab. I'm like, 12 is too long. It's too much for this story. So what did you think about Eleven's backstory? In what way? Because her backstory is, and this is spoiler territory for people who haven't seen Stranger Things yet. I don't know how you've managed to escape, but if you have, good job. But if you don't want to be spoiled, please move along. 
We find out that Eleven was basically stolen from her mother. Right, yes. And the mother just had a breakdown over it because nobody would believe her. Both of them had telekinetic powers. Yeah, so my question mostly is, what did you think about the implications of that narrative from a cultural perspective where women are, especially in U.S. culture, often you get like lots of things where abortion is not a thing that happens without a lot of disapproval. I didn't read that much into it, maybe because I don't come from that background. That's not something that was part of my because life the, this... in any shape or form. This is like whenever I hear about abortion, it's always in the context of some what the fuck are you happening in America? I'm not even sure that the Duffer brothers were trying to comment on the control of women's bodies and control of women's power. Uh, but that's what it came across to me. And so right now in the U.S., you have this big to-do about abortion and how... I mean, like, a, three, like four, a few days ago, I got witnessed to by some seminary student who was like, abortion is murder! And I was like, fuck off. And so I don't think they even meant to hit that. But for me, it really dug into, like, that idea of men controlling women's bodies and controlling women's power by controlling their bodies. So I'm not even sure that the Duffer Brothers were trying to make any sort of comparison, but this idea that you have this white-haired, white dude stealing a woman's child, making her think she was nuts, and then using that child for her own power, it just really got to me in like a, really, a way I haven't really fully unpacked yet. Because, like, that's the, that's going on here right now. Like, half the reason that reproductive rights is such a hot topic is because it's men and a lot of rich women attempting to control women's power. Because once we have reproductive rights and once we have better family planning, you they can't take that power away from us. It, it becomes much harder to take it away. Yeah, and that's something that I find so unbelievably fucked up. I hear the news, I read the news, and I can barely believe that these things are happening today in America. So you didn't get that from Eleven's backstory, but what did you take away from her backstory? I told you before this that often with movies and TV shows, I engage on a more emotional level. What I got from that story was a little girl being used by someone that she thought was her father, and every time... She was carried away and she would just scream, Papa, Papa! I would bow my eyes out. And that is the level of, of interaction that I had with the story. That, is the, that was the level that I interacted with. It was very emotional. And this brings me to Joyce. What did you think of Winona Ryder in this? She was amazing. But I love her anyway. I, lo I love her <sighs> in everything she's in. Renee, I love you so much. I'm so glad you are my co-host in this podcast. I think you, can, the, you, you can stay forever. I think about the first role I think I really noted her in was Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, of course. And then and, Heathers. And then Heathers. Yeah. And then I kind of lost track. And I think the next role I really paid attention to her in was one of the Alien movies. What? It was an alien that didn't do very well. I don't think it was supposed to be a really good movie. But anyway... <laughs> Yeah, she plays a character in one of the alien movies with Sigourney Weaver. Oh my god. Resur I Resurrection? Remember. I don't... Maybe we should watch it. Oh my god, let's... Do you remember a movie called Mermaids? No. With her and Cher? I do not. I need to see that. <gasps> oh my god, it's so good. It's so good. You have to watch that one. I've watched that movie. It was Beetlejuice, Heathers, and Mermaids playing constantly in my house. I would go to the um, video store and I would rent those VCRs and I would watch them over and over and over again, especially mermaids. Do we need to define what a, like a VCR and, <laughs> and rental place no, is? No, shut up! <laughs> For some of our listeners. No, listen, the, the reason why I asked you is because one of my co-workers, who's about 10 years younger... She watched it first, and every every day she would come to the office, having watched a couple of episodes the night before, saying how much she hated Winona Ryder in this. That Winona Ryder was so forced, and that she was so exaggerated, and then she could not stand Winona Ryder in this. And I was like, wow, really? I'm really interested in watching this. And I got the complete opposite reaction. I didn't think she was forced at all. 
I thought she was amazing in this. And then, of course, I have this background of having grown up with Winona Ryder as the cool girl, right? Because that's who she was when I was growing up. She was the cool girl that showed up in all of these indie movies. And so seeing her now as a mother and being strong and I'm going to do this for my kid. And there is this one scene that was very indicative of that, which is the scene when she sees Will's body at the morgue. And she says, that thing is not my child. And that was the first thing that set my colleague off because she was like, why? How would she even know that that thing was not her child? And it's like, that's the point! So basically you will argue with her, your coworker. Oh my god, we spent days arguing about this. That sounds we- like some serious internalized misogyny. When people react like that to female characters, especially if they're younger, stories about middle-aged women are often erased from culture, period. We don't get to see many of them. You either get to be, you know, young and beautiful or you're a crone. That's how it works. And so I just get really suspicious when people react that viciously to a female character. Usually when people tell me, like, oh, I thought they were 2X, 2Y, 2Z, I ask them to unpack why. I ask them, well, why? And almost always they can't tell me why. They just feel, they just feel that way. They just feel it. And I'm just like, well, where's that feeling coming from? And they can never tell me. The, se- the secret is it's coming from inside you where you've internalized a lot of hatred of women. Congratulations. You've discovered something new about yourself. Yeah, I I would not be surprised. So, I mean, sometimes people just don't like characters, and that's fine too, but that sounds really suspicious to me. Anyway, moving on to discussion of the thing that I do want to talk about, which is Nancy's two boyfriends. All right, yeah. Both gross, and I hope they die. Oh, I didn't like (laughs) it. I mean, they were very creepy, but I thought that the narrative handled it okay. Sort of. We didn't examine their behavior as much as I would like, but it was eight, you know, it was eight episodes. But I do like that fandom right now has pretty much agreed that Nancy has two boyfriends. Ah, and it's like this cool. great poly ship. I was really surprised with what they did with Steve because he could have been the stereotypical asshole that got killed in the end or played the coward. I thought he was just gonna run away at that scene. Mm-hmm. The fact that he comes back. With, with the badge was so cool. I loved it. That was a nice subversion of the trope of that character. Exactly. That's what the show did so well for me. And I liked that it was the girl who had the power too. I No, I really enjoyed the show. I thought it was really well done. I loved the music. I loved the cinematography. It was beautiful. The acting was superb. And I'm really glad we get two, another season. Two seasons. Yes. How many Space Bees are you giving Stranger Things? Four. I'm also giving Stranger Things four Space Bees. That's a total of eight Space Bees. We should have given it 11. The Vision Volume 1, Little Worse Than a Man, by Tom King, Gabrielle Hernandez-Walta, and Jordi Belair, is a new comic about the Vision from the Avengers and his attempts to create a family and a life in the suburbs and how it goes completely horribly wrong. This is very much like science fiction horror to me. Yes, absolutely it is. And I didn't read this in floppy, but I heard so many good things about every single issue that came out and so the trade came out and i grabbed it and i like swallowed it in like 35 minutes this was so good it was excellent can we start with a little bit of context sure because right at the beginning it says recently vision put the emotions associated with his memories from his hard drive in order to keep his processing system running smoothly but the consequences of this action have yet to be fully realized so am i to understand that the, at the beginning of this he has purged his memories and his emotions because that doesn't make doesn't make any sense to me at the actions of this person here, someone who has no emotions? That's the way I took it, yeah. But they are not. They are very emotional. Well, he it's not that he can't make new emotions. It's that he lost all the previous ones. Okay, so we are talking about a tabula rasa vision. Yeah. Someone new. This was fucked up. He creates this family. He moves to the suburbs in Virginia. Then everything starts to go wrong as they try to be normal. Quote, unquote, normal. 
and you can see it start to fall apart and you can watch all the wrong choices that they make to make things work and you're just like oh shit how is this gonna how is this gonna turn out okay uh i think the spoiler is i don't think it's gonna turn out okay because obviously this is just the first trade the story's not over yet yeah and there is the question of how it's framed as well it's someone is telling this story from right from the beginning right from the first panel it is framed as an introduction to something that has gone terribly wrong Mm -hmm. and And then in the end we know what it is they did a lot of framing with metaphor like there was an interesting part where they talked about this water vase from this faraway planet or whatever and how it's a vase made out of water but you can't put any flowers in it because the water because of where it's from it poisons the flowers several objects throughout the comic become like examples of ways that visions dream and his own vision for his family are gonna fall apart what makes humans human is it our mistakes is it our successes what makes us human beings that's a question i don't really think the comic answers but it gives you a lot of places to start what i took away from it is that what makes humanity humanity is our inability not to destroy things and vision can't ever achieve like pure humanity pure normalcy because he either has to make the mistakes on purpose which humans don't do or he has to not make the mistakes which humans don't do oh my god so i read this completely differently that's interesting i want to hear your reading on it my hearing on it is that they are completely human oh really and this is why they fuck up so much because i have no faith in humans they're so inhuman, though, in the way they... The kids maybe are more human than the parents. And Virginia maybe seems more human than Vision does. Vision seems completely inhumane in so many different ways. The way he treats his family like objects, for also one. Also very human. Yeah, I know, but you can argue either way, right? So Absolutely. That's the point of this thing. Yeah. Th- is everything fucked up because they are too human or because they are not human at all? You can argue either way. There are men who treat their wives and kids as property and hope to shape and mold them. And I think the more the story progresses, the more human he behaves, the more purely emotional decisions he makes that escalate, he will do everything for his family. I like that the first mistake, it doesn't come from Vision. It comes from the wife trying to avoid Vision's disappointment. Also very human. Everything starts because he's too controlling. Because he wants this little experiment of his, being normal, having a family, to work. His family doesn't want to screw it up. And so I found that the wife is the first one to start the process of everything crumbling to bits. Really, really fascinating. Or you can argue that it was really his controlling that started everything. And his very decision of creating these people. Mm -hmm. It also kind of reads sort of like an abuse narrative. Because he's created this microcosm that they're inhabiting as human beings. He's trapped them all in an abuse narrative where his expectations control everything that his family does to keep him happy. And because they're so busy trying to keep him happy, they continually fuck up and create a situation where he has to make a choice between his family and the world. And I think it's really interesting how they talk about how many times he saved the world. Yes. And how they outline it in a way to show that this time is not going to be number 38 and why it's not going to be number 38. Did you ever, sorry, did you ever read The Watchmen? No, I mean, I read it, but I don't remember much about it. I don't remember liking it that much. I think I found it too dark for my tastes. Well, this is very dark too. Yeah, but I like this. He reminded me of Dr. Manhattan in a way. Because Dr. Manhattan... I actually, he, he reminds me physically of Dr. Manhattan. But also Dr. Manhattan, he starts as human and then becomes more and more inhuman with every, every time he saves the world. And he detaches himself from humanity until he realizes that humanity is kind of like of a miracle. And then that brings him back. I think the vision does the opposite, right? He yeah. strips himself of his emotions and his memory and then tries to fit back into humanity. Exactly. To be more normal because he admires humanity, I guess. I never really understood his motivation, actually. 
I mean, I think I got it, but I don't think I've ever fully understood it. Like, what was his motivation for wanting to do this? I guess it's it's the usual storyline with AIs, isn't it? It's so often that we see that AIs want to be human. That's and, all that they want to be. And why did he choose the heteronormative nuclear uh, family? Well, that's, that's not him. That's the writers. Well, I mean, yeah, okay, but he chose it. The writers made him choose it. So if we're going to yeah. take that perspective, why did they? Why that choice? Why that specific framing? Is it just because because the nuclear family, that type of heteronormative nuclear family, is the 1950s ideal, but no longer works in the current cultural environment? So not only was the experiment that Vision was doing flawed from the, from all their actions, it was also flawed because they were trying to reflect a reality that no longer exists and maybe never existed if we look uh, at more nuanced readings of the 1950s. Hmm, that's true. And there is a really interesting counterpart to that because they have those neighbors who in the surface seem to be the perfect couple, but they are arguing all the time. This was just a very thinky comic. There's just so much it's going on in it. It's a very thinky comic. And there is a cameo by your favorite. I know, Tony was there and he was also kind of like, holy shit, Vision, chill out. I wonder where they are going to go with this because it ends with a huge cliffhanger and a potential for like another cross event that I'm, will destroy everything. I'm pretty sure though that Tom King... The, it's a comic's going to be over soon. I'm pretty sure that he's going somewhere else. Like they've ended the vi the whole run of the vision. I'm pretty sure uh, the next trade is it. Also, you have to know that there's current civil war crap going on, and I'm sure that depending on what the overarching you know crossover narrative wants, that it might not close out this idea as well as it could. So I have a feeling that the second volume won't be as strong as this one, but this one is so powerful and thoughtful that I think that'll be a I think it'll be fine. The way to solve everything is to inject his memories back again into his head. So he remember the people that he loved before, I guess, and then everything will be okay. You think? Also, there was some animal death in this. I was not <laughs> expecting it, and it was really kind of gutting. So uh, if you want to read this, and I'd recommend that people read this because it's really good, watch out for the animal death. But also not completely dead because there is a Frankenstein going oh, on. Oh, right. I think actually that's what make that, makes it work because in the comic you're watching it happen and it's like and then the scenes are really happy and people are excited, but you're reading it in like horror because oh, you're like, my God, oh, yes. shit. It's just a really good comic. This is a really condensed short story horror. Five space bees. Whoa. I know, right? I really like this Whoa. comic. Wow. Would I give it five? I don't think so. I think I'm going to go with four. I can't believe you're so surprised at me giving it a high score. I'm boy surprised, actually. Well, I'm really stingy sometimes with Five Space Bees. I highly recommend it. The art and coloring that Gabriel Hernandez-Walta and Jordi Belair do is fantastic. That's where a lot of like the creep factor comes from. The text is good. It's really great. I Don't get me wrong. The writing is excellent. But that art and the way that it's colored and the tone of it is just perfect. And I highly recommend it. A few months ago, Anna challenged me to read the whole series, starting with The Thief by Megan Whelan Turner. In exchange, she would read one of my favorite ever Star Trek fanfics. I have finally completed the first stage of this challenge by reading The Queen of Atolia by Megan Whelan Turner. This is one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book of all time. Be careful. So when I read The Thief, on recommendation from several people who loved it, I was like, this is boring as shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's boring. The Thief is boring. I don't know what's happening in that book. I guess if you like unreliable narrators, you're going to like The Thief. But I don't like that. And then the guy that I liked, well, things happened. So as we've established- Okay, let me give me some context. The Anna Thief has... is, the first, is the first book in the series, right? So far as a quartet, is writing the fifth one. So The Thief is the first one. It's YA. It's kind of like more middle grade than YA. It's first person narrative. 
So just give me a little bit more context because everything changes from Queen of Atolia onwards. It's no longer first person narrative, it's third person narrative. I just found it confusing and not great. But okay, that's fine. No problem, no problem, no problem. Queen of Atolia, second book in the series. Eugenides is a little bit older. So tell me, what did you think? The reason it took me so long to read this book is because I was really worried that it was going to be the thief part two. So it took me, you know, a year or two <laughs> to read this book. But I really want you to read the Star Trek fic. So I powered through. I did it for you, Anna, because I want you to read this stick with me. Cut to the chase, Renee. Cut to the chase. No, I have to drag it out for as long <laughs> as possible. So I like Star how you could have just known the answer to this if you just looked on Goodreads. The Queen of Atolia is a fucking masterpiece of literature. It's a, it's a masterpiece. There are so many twists. I never saw anything coming. That's the thing. The whole narrative is unreliable because it's doing things right under your nose. Everything is there. If you go back, everything is there. That's how masterful she is. And she does that with every single book. I'll just let you know that. that that's the masterful storytelling is in every single one of them. But the Queen of Atolia is one of my favorites. Are we going to spoil this? Should we spoil this? I really don't want to spoil this to our listeners. We don't have to spoil it now. How can we possibly talk about the book without spoiling it though? We can say that it's about politics. We can say that it's about mythology. We can say that it's about religion. We can say that it's about politics and mythology and religion all together to form countries and states. We can say that there are amazing female characters, so powerful in many different ways and dealing with, you know, misogyny and the intricacies of power. And there is romance, amazing romance, beautiful romance. You would call that amazing. This is where we're going to swallow territory because I would not call this romance amazing. Oh my God. I found it so amazing. It's everywhere in this book. I see we're going to have a point of contention on this romance issue. So I read a copy of this book from the library and on the front cover, it just has a hand. Ha. When I first picked up this book, I was like, that's pretty fucking creepy for a book that's hanging out in the the children's lit section. My copy, my version has a woman. You can only see her hands and you know that it's a woman because there is a dress and there are, and because it's the queen of Atolia. And that woman is holding a hook. How fucked up is that? This book is just... I wouldn't even call the writing like like some kind of fabulous narrative. It's very sturdy. All the trickery is done in the fact that you underestimate what the narrative is doing and telling you. I found that so amazing. And I was like, okay, well, I know people aren't going to... Like, I know there's not character death because I got warned. And I got 20 pages into this book and I'm just like, wait, this whole starting premise is taking out the main character from the political chessboard that's the premise of the whole board the book what happens when you take away the resources of your main character right before a war what what happens to the politics of your country what happens to your economics what happens to your people and And what happens to the characters themselves who have their personality based on those things I think what I found most fascinating about this book is not Jen and not Edis, but Atolia herself. Oh my god, Atolia is the best. Because you think that you know who this character is. You think you know her substance. She's the villain of the piece. Because you can easily buy that from the way the book starts. Turner reveals more of the pieces to the reader I tried to think back to when I've seen this done for a female character versus like a male character in this way specifically where there's like twists and like a like a kind of a central mystery about how things are going to be resolved. But the way this book does it is super different because there's no redemption involved. The no. book never tries to redeem Atolia for the things, especially the horrible things that she's done uh-huh. in the service of power. Exactly. She just really kind of stays an asshole. That's amazing. But I also thought that she's humanized in many ways, I mean, too. Yeah, she, yeah, that's true. She totally gets humanized. But she stays a complete and utter asshole at the very end. Yeah, but that's because she's a fucking queen. How else can she be? How else can she survive in that game? I don't know. Edis that, isn't an asshole. That is very true. But Is it uh, just uh, a different political but structure? But Atolia is a little different, yeah. 
she's being pushed away by so many different forces. Also, so I think it's interesting because Edis is in the mountains, Anatolia is closer to the sea. Personality-wise, you start looking at the makeup of the place where this book is happening, like the geography. Because if you look at the geography of the that the characters live in, you start to see the parallels between the geography of their kingdom and their characterization specifically. Exactly. It informs a lot of who they are and what they do. So I thought that was and, how, and how it shapes the kingdoms and how it shapes the political sphere. But no, you can relax. I really like this book. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It's one of my favorites. And I cannot wait for you to, to read King of Atolia. Oh my God. Are you going to be able to handle it? Because you do not realize what happens after I read The King of Atolia. What's after The King of Atolia? A Conspiracy of Kings. You do realize what's happening after I finish. Yes, I do. Books. Do you know what's happening? The fifth book is coming out next year. Are you serious? <laughs> I did no. not agree to read the fifth book. I agreed to read <laughs> the three books that I hadn't completed. I'm only joking. But we can wait for this book together. She's been writing it for five years. Oh my god. Every single one of these books have been published within five years of the other, I'm pretty sure. I cannot wait to read the next one. So how many Bs do you give this one? Four. Ah! This is over. You gave five to the vision. Five to the vision. And four to the best book ever written, which you, yourself, just called a masterpiece of storytelling. Are you completely unfazed by my rant just now? <laughs> a little. It's because we are too far away from one another. I would walk 500,000 miles to be the man, not the man, the woman, to tell you that you are wrong on this. I'm wrong about... you. I can't be wrong about a subjective opinion. You can, and you are. You are wrong about this. It should be five stars. It should be six stars. It should be seven stars. Ten stars. Not stars. Space bees. I'm even, like, confused now. It should be a thousand space bees for this book. You're giving this book a thousand space bees. No, I'm not giving any space bees to this book. Because this book does not. It's just, like, space bees is too little. There's nothing you can give this book to nothing. reflect how great you think it is. Yes. I hope everybody reads it. We didn't spoil it. So technically... We didn't spoil Wow. Everybody can go read this book and give it a shot and come back and tell Anna what you think. But beware, she's very defensive. She's like me with Black Wolves. Yeah. This is Anna's Black Wolves. We found it. Definitely. And I've sold it to so many people too. Although I only review it once, Renee. So maybe it's not my Shut Black up. Wolves. Why does everybody <laughs> have to judge me? that I have put Anna out of her Queen of Atelia related misery, we can move on to recommendations. Anna, what do you got for us today? I have finally started watching Gilmore Girls on Netflix in anticipation of the comeback for episodes that they will be doing in November. I had watched Gilmore Girls on and off when I was still in Brazil and now that I've rewatched the first five seasons within like two months... I realized that I watched only a few episodes of it up until the moment when Jess leaves. And after that, I hadn't watched anything whatsoever. So it has been really great. It's just such a good show. I get home from work and it's just the best thing to get a plate of food and sit out to relax watching Gilmore Girls. It is just so nice. Everybody's just so nice in that show. And that's my recommendation. What about you? What's your rec? My recommendation is a book that I have been looking forward to for years, and it finally came out. It's called Company Town by Madeline Ashby. A disclaimer, Madeline Ashby is really smart. She's super smart. She's a futurist. So this book is super smart. There is a lot happening in this book. So it's about Hua. She lives on this old oil rig that has just been bought by the Lynch family. The Lynch patriarch decides that he wants Hua to be the bodyguard for his heir, Joel. And Joel is a really nice kid, and Hua and him get along really well, but there is a serial killer on the loose killing Hua's former co-workers because she used to work for 
a sex workers union and he's killing them and targeting her and there's some time shenanigans but what really sold this book for me was the character relationships and how nice and compassionate and real that the relationships from the characters feel there is a love interest obviously but i really really liked Wa's relationship with joel i just thought it was so well done because i've been looking forward to this book so long I was really worried that it wouldn't live up to my expectations, but it really, really did. I loved it so much. It's not even that long. It packs a huge punch for being such a short book. But if you like futuristic science fiction, I highly recommend to check this one out. I also recommend that one. It's one of my favorites of the year so far. Oh, wow. Really? It's on your favorites list? It's Neat. definitely on my notables. Wow. That's high praise because you read mm -hmm. a lot of books. Well, not really, Renee. You know that I've read like 23 books so far this year, right? I'm suspicious of this number. Well, it's still cool that my favorite book right now is on your list. It's really good. It does have time shenanigans, so... It does. I mean, not. it's not a big deal. Like, it's not no, huge, it's not. but it's there. Madeline Ashby is a futurist. She's got tons of training in this field, and she puts so many of these ideas into the book, and they're just wonderful pieces of world building. So if you want to read a book by a futurist who is an excellent writer, I would definitely check out Company Town. Anna, we've made it to the end of another episode. Number 54. Yay. We did it. And nobody dies during the making of this episode. I didn't get disowned because I liked all the things Anna wanted me to like. Our music this week is by Foxcat Games with instrumentals by Cheeky Music. The amazing art that you see when you download us was made by Ira. You can commission them at justira.tumblr.com or ping them on Twitter at it's just Ira. Because we're so awesome, you definitely want to go to iTunes and leave us a nice review with lots of stars. You can pretend Voice. the stars are space bees. Plus, it helps people find us, and that way we can control their TBR lists. And if you want more of us between episodes, you can catch us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcast. I'm on Twitter, at Renee. And I'm at Book Smugglers. And as always, Space Bees, thanks for listening. See you next episode. Bye! you liked it even with the all the butts well i mean i'm always gonna have butts <laughs>